0: This is Matthew Batten, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast, episode number 168, and with me is Roy. Hey, it is the 4th of July. Hey, baby, it's the 4th of July.
1: Yeah, so everybody celebrate in your own way. I have my own thoughts, but I'm going to keep them off this podcast because we're going to talk about baseball.
0: (laughs) It's a little bit of a womp womp, um, uh, you know, under recent rulings by the Supreme Court, where, okay, fine, fuck it. As as America, we are supposed to lead the way. We're supposed to be not only, we're not supposed to be the police Although we kind of are of of the world uh, because we have the most money and the biggest military, but we're also, as a form of government, culture, and society, we are supposed to lead the way. And I don't think we have led the way for a very long time, but certainly this past month, we have fucking taken a couple steps back. Huge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I'm unhappy about, about what's been going on in our country. And it's more than just what's happened the last couple of weeks. It's what's yeah. been going on for the last few years and yeah. it's all kind of come into a head. And I'm, so today I'm wearing all black. I'm not wearing red, white, and blue, and I'm going to uh, exercise my right to not stand when they play the national Anthem. I know it's a hollow gesture, uh, but I just, and you guys that follow me on Twitter, you see that I'm not afraid to share my thoughts when it comes to stuff related to social justice and all this. So, yep, we're here to talk about baseball, but it is the Fourth of July, and it's kind of hard not to not to dive down the politics. Right, right, right. Just okay. So now
0: that those that have not turned it off, uh, okay, appreciate you sticking around. Uh, and and those that uh, you know uh, you know have take a mess uh, you know take offense to what we say. Uh, in the end, we have. M- more in common than we have uh in 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 conflict really right and i respect
1: and appreciate everybody's right to to celebrate and be proud and all of this you know hey growing up in el Centro, i i I spent a little time in el centro my parents are from el centro like
0: fourth of july was rad because you can buy fireworks everywhere and you can blow up stuff
1: yeah. Okay. So I'm a dog owner. We have two dogs and right. I've, I always it's, liked fireworks. Right. I used to blow up the cul-de-sac when I was up in, in Sacramento, <laughs> but I see what it does to my dogs and how yeah. traumatized they get. And yeah. I hope that's at some point we can find something else to do in our neighborhoods. Cause we've yeah. got some people in our neighborhood that just, they get the stuff that goes up in the air and goes boom. And boy, that scares the poor dogs. They don't understand.
0: You know, he, it, the same over here. We, uh, we, so we live, um, uh, just across the 15 from which is now Snapdragon Stadium, but before it was Qualcomm, and they had, you know, the weekend fireworks, they had the Sky Show. And if you're on one side, all you hear is pop, 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 pop. But on this side of the freeway, it sounds literally like artillery is landing within feet of, of your home. It's boom, 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 boom. And we don't, we have a cat and the cat would just, we'd lose the cat for about an hour for her. And I can just imagine all the other pet owners in this, in this area that are just going, Holy cow. Cause it, it really, it did. It sounded like artillery landing and uh, it was just insane.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it's I'm, scary. If you have an animal that can yeah. get out like that, like you don't know, you know, maybe you hope you hope that the cat's going to come back and be safe and everything. Yeah. There are a lot of dogs that, that get out, break out of the backyard and they're out on the loose. So, so stay, if you can stay home, be with your pets and be on the lookout for animals when you're out. Anyway, we're here to celebrate some Padres baseball. So how about Matt Batten?
0: Matthew Batten.
1: Finally, I mean, should we just
0: end the podcast now that we have kind of our, our campaign has come to uh, fruition. Oh no no
1: not at all no because we have we have more. uh, This is what we do. (laughs) Yeah, the podcast mojo it it keeps on going.
0: You know I um and 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 it's it's, and it couldn't come at a better time. You know it's funny we talked about this before we started. Um, even just being on the squad, even being in the dugout, even having that experience, um, is well worth it. And any player will tell you, yeah, I was in I was in you know I was with the team for four days, best four days of my life didn't see it that bad didn't see inning and in play but it was the best four days it's called the show for a reason and it is incredible uh not only for just you get a, uh you have achieved your dream of becoming one of the f- under twenty thousand people for a um for a, a job
1: or a thing that has happened for you know since the 19th century right you know? yeah yeah and so um so far all he's gotten to do is pinch runner uh played an inning at second base and he got an a a single at bat he popped out uh we don't know how long he's going to be up um you know i i i'd like to think that he's going to stick until tatis is ready to come off the il uh but so as we were talking last time i kind of figured that this might be the transaction that when Abrams doesn't get daily playing times daily starts because Manny Machado is back on the field it makes sense to bring up Matt Batten where he can just ride the bench most of the time and nobody's yeah. really complaining about wasting development time on Abrams you know yeah. where he needs to be getting daily at bats uh, but don't sleep on Matthew Batten he's been having a great year in AAA um, and he's I mean he's, let's see his line is 299 399 505 in AAA um and he's having he's off to a really good start yeah, so absolutely. he can contribute the guy can hit he's a smart runner he can play pretty much any position on the field um you know all around good guy so couldn't be happier for him
0: and I'm pretty sure he, he everything but pitcher and I think he's even caught a couple bullpens right yeah <laughs> so I wonder how many gloves he brought up with him dude right he's borrow he's, borrow, he's borrowing someone's Right. Um, well, congratulations to Matthew Batten, a friend of the podcast. Um, couldn't happen to a better guy. Now we're going to get on the Taylor Callaway, uh, back on the Taylor Callaway train, because he's down there just, you know, doing just as well. A little more, li- I think he played a little more limited uh, where he can play. Right. Certainly, uh, certainly deserves to be up and get a cup of coffee and get some of that sweet, sweet MLB cash.
1: Right. Yeah. I believe he's like left field, right field, first base, and maybe sh- some third base if you really need it. And left-handed um, Pop too. But yeah, the guy's the guy's raking this year. Yeah. Maybe we need to figure out how to get him on the horn just for a little five minute hit, just to get him some some podcast mojo. <laughs> mojo, right. <laughs> 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 okay. So moving on to our next little item here. Uh, it sounds like you didn't see this yesterday. Iggy Rosario made this crazy catch and it wound up being the number one play on sports centers, top 10 yesterday. So he was playing shortstop and it was a fly ball down the left field line. And he goes and he dives into the net, like through his whole body up into the net and made the catch. And his foot kind of got tangled up on the way down. He wound up on a little bit of a yard sale when he hit the deck. <laughs> <laughs> but just a, a crazy catch. And I've been wondering when, so now that they've got the net here, I've, you see guys, they'll go and they'll like lean their hand up on it when they're yeah. going to l- lean in. I've been waiting for somebody to just throw themselves into that thing. Cause it's not like Derek Jeter diving into the stands. You right, know, that there's right, a right. net there to catch you, you know, even if it's, if you're going to fall into the seats a little bit, it's not going to hurt like just nosedive into the seats
0: it's not, but you could, it is like
1: fish netting. So you could get
0: tangled up and maybe tear something, but absolutely. You, you can almost do it for, you know, you can even run a little bit, a few more steps longer. So you can go, all right, fine. I can just dive into the net. Right. And sure sure, you're going to fall on people, but you know, you're going to spring back pretty kind of quick.
1: Yeah. So this was a ridiculous, outstanding catch. So, and the, uh, the Chihuahuas did a good job of promoting it on social media. And they, I think they tagged sports center in it. And what do you know? Number one play of the day. Nice. Eggy I, 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 Rosario's been, I think he hit two home runs in that game, too. He's been all of a sudden, he's been going off. Yeah. He yeah, seems like really, a streaky hitter.
0: Yeah, but he with such a strong, with such a weak, sorry, with such a weak start of the season. Uh, it is nice to see him really taking shape. He's super young. He's 23. Yeah. He, he's he's young, uh, and uh certainly deserving to uh get a shot, despite what some may say
1: yeah and it's it's kind of made me wonder when he's going to get that chance because okay so matt batten was brought up to be the the backup utility guy he wasn't on the 40-man roster they had to open up a spot for him um where eggy's on the 40-man he can play most of the same positions. so matthew leapfrogged eggy um and we never know what's going on behind the scenes how somebody's acting in the dugout in the clubhouse right. you know, how does somebody respond to having a bad day if somebody's asked to sit on a particular day do they do they you know sit and pout or are they engaged and ready to contribute whenever they can there's a lot that goes on in the development of a player outside of what happens on the field right the box score
0: yeah so certainly and 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 you know you wonder how far that, that those numbers do go when it comes to trade material. Like we we're the, the big league team needs help. Uh as as good as uh you know uh Mazzara has been doing uh we need help in the outfield we need help at you know in the lineup and it's gonna cost us guys mm-hmm.
1: what it's gonna cost us is what is really the big question. Right. So on the on the prospect hugger. So we're not prospect huggers. I, I, I feel like since we cover the prospects a lot, we I feel like that should be my job. Right. But right. I don't necessarily like, yeah, I want to see Taylor Colway come up and contribute for the Padres, but I'll be just as happy for him if he gets traded to the Miami, oh, right. And and gets to actually have a, a contributing role on the team yeah. rather than back into the roster kind of role player you know, get called up for a couple of weeks and then DFA'd, you know, that that's, that's part of it. So I want to see these guys have a good career, whether it's with the Padres or, or elsewhere.
0: Yeah. But you don't want to like, you don't, you don't want to trade like a CJ Adams too soon, or you don't want to even trade a Robert Hassel way too soon yeah. uh, where, you know, that's not prospect hugging like that, you know, outfield is definitely something that we need to address. Mm-hmm. And I know Hassel has got to be at least uh, two years away. Not only this year, but certainly in next year. He's not even double A yet, and right. he's leading the the Midwest League in an average, and he's got some pop. But there's a lot of development that he needs to do
1: to show that uh, that he uh, is going to be up in the next two years. Certainly, I could see if the right circumstances happen between now and the end of this season, he gets an invite to spring training next year. You get a couple of oddball injuries like what happened at shortstop this year. And that's yeah. how C.J. Abrams got to make the opening day roster. But he made the roster, yes, out of his own merit, but it wasn't because he was ready. It was because yeah. the needs opened up and he was, he was the most obvious answer to fill the job yeah. at the time. So he was clearly over his head. I and mean, He's done better than most could have expected, but you, you can see the, guys, the guy needs work. And he still needs work. He came up, did a good job this time while he was up, but he was still clearly overmatched at the plate at times. Um, He wasn't taking the kind of quality at-bats that you want to see, especially on a championship contending team. When he's coming up to the plate, when his spot's coming up in the order, and it's a key moment of the game, you don't want the manager thinking about, well, do I need to pinch hit for this guy? Because I don't want an easy out. You know, this, yeah. this is a bad matchup. It's going to, you know, there's, he's going to be an easy out for this reliever, whatever. No, you need people that you can trust up and down the roster. Uh, you know, when, when the, when the rubber hits the road on a playoff team. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's
0: go on to some more good news. And this is cool as hell. I almost went to this game. Like oh, I, like lived, my wife's been out of town for all week because her mom, um, they turned her mom on Friday and I got off work. I'm like, you know what? God, I just, uh, you know, I got home and I'm like, eh, eh, I won't go. I don't want to go. But the storm threw their first no hitter. That's awesome. And it had pod, uh, it had podcast mojo in it as well. Yeah. little Garrett Hawkins yeah Eric hawkins and alice mundo combined to throw the first no hitter in lake Elsinore storm history now who was up there was kevin charity and mark wilkins from mad friars so i uh there was plenty of things written uh by MLB, but i wanted to use what they uh what they wrote uh for our podcast and and once again you guys subscribe to to friars i uh, not know subscribe to mad friars thank you very much um uh, it's 40 bucks a year it's like five bucks a, a month or five bucks a week. It's just, it's really inexpensive. You get all the daily rundowns and on top of the, uh, the uh, content that you get with the uh, interviews with players and, and just a lot of good insight from,
1: from the guys in Mad Fries. but they were up there. So Garrett Hawkins and Alan Mundo combined to throw the first no hitter in Lake Elsinore storm history. The storm actually came within two outs of a perfect game. Hawkins made the start for the storm and was strong from the outset. Hawkins retired the 66ers in order using a fastball that sat in the 92 to 94 range up in the zone and keeping his mid 80s change up down in the zone. It was a combination that kept Inland Empire off balance all night and Garrett Hawkins has been putting together a string of really good appearances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, store manager Eric Young he said he threw inside really well. He had fastball command. He threw a bunch of changeups, and he stayed aggressive the entire time. He attacked, attacked and attacked and he got on a roll. The next thing you know you look up and he's got 21 in a row they got on the board in the second inning when second baseman white hoffman
0: came up with two outs and a runner on third Hoffman hit a dribbler back to the mound and initially appeared to be a routine play but hoffman ended up colliding with the 66ers first baseman juan Benilla, on a throw that pulled him off the bag a bit the ball got free and hoffman was safe at first he attempted to take second when the throw got away from the first baseman but he was thrown out the play was scored a single, and Hoffman was credited with his first RBI as a professional. Awesome. And congratulations, White. He had a really good night. The 23-year-old son of former of, of Hall of Famer Trevor Hoffman, he landed a pitch in the left field gap to plate a run and hustled in to a triple for the first extra base hit of his professional career. Like, every time he came up, he was producing. It was like, holy cow. Wow. Good for him. It, certainly after he'd struggled so much in
1: his short little stint over in in Fort Wayne. Yeah, I just pulled it up. He batted 143, 172, and he only slugged 143. So no extra base hits yeah. in over 28, uh, 29 plate appearances, 11 games with Fort Wayne.
0: Yeah. So outfielder James Wood hit a two run shot over the right field the ball. That left the ball was
1: so the ball was hit so far. Every it, day. Is, it seems like every day he's hitting a ball incredibly hard in that place. Y- yes,
0: it was Wood's six homer of the year and his second of the series. Right now, I'm just on time, Wood said, after the storm victory. Just real, I'm just ready to hit the heater, and I'm coming into the box with a good plan, and that makes it a lot easier to execute. So I got to
1: wonder if he's going to quit seeing fastballs now after seeing something
0: like that. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I watched his at-bats, and, and early on in the season, the, he was swinging everything low, everything knee-high, you know, like everything lower than knee, he was swinging at, and he stopped swinging at that. And started getting walks and was just fine with getting walks, so they've had to bring the ball up a little bit on him. Okay. So after Hawkins set down the 66ers in order again in the sixth, the storm offense exploded for seven runs to turn the game into a rout. Six consecutive storm hitters reached base to start the inning, culminating with another big hit from Wood, who took a fastball to the left center gap as the ball rolled to the wall. Wood, who was hustling all the way out of the box, cruised into third with a triple and then scored when the throw got away and rolled into the storm dugout. I was thinking three all the way Laughed left Wood, who has hit in 14 straight games and now sports a 333 451, 602 line
1: on the year. So earlier today, David J, who was a contributor for Mad Friars, uh, he tweeted out when I hear someone comp James Wood to Aaron Judge, it tells me that they've never seen James Wood, Aaron Judge, or Dave Parker play baseball. And I thought that was an interesting little. So it's it's okay, you got a big guy that can play outfield. Aaron judge is the, is the, the natural comp that people go to. Uh, But he pointed out, and I'm trying to find when, when his, how he described this, but he talked about, it's not just the height. It's also the, uh, the short levers. So Daryl Strawberry is somebody else that I've thought of when you just compare, okay, how tall is the guy ability to play some short, some center field. uh, But, Daryl Strawberry had long legs, long arms, yeah. um, kind of that Ken Griffey, that that long swing. Um, and I guess James Wood isn't really built that way. And so I didn't realize Dave Parker was six foot five and he played in the Astrodome for a good chunk of his career uh, or no the three rivers. They had AstroTurf. That's what it yeah. was. They had concrete AstroTurf. So how many guys did that wreck their knees and their back really yeah. in their career? who you know, could have gone on to so much more because their, you know, their body was wrecked after playing in the, in the league for yeah. three, four years. Well, that's so, the reason why, real quick, and that's what happened. I feel that's what happened to Junior after he left
0: Seattle playing in AstroTurf for so long, and then mm-hmm. he went over to Cincinnati, and by that time his knees were shot, and he was – I mean, he still had a pretty good career, but you know, the best had already been played in Seattle, and I think a lot of that was due to having been playing in the uh, – I, I don't forget what the, the stadium was called in Seattle Safeco. back then. It, Safeco. Before Safeco, it was... Uh, oh,
1: in the kingdom. The kingdom. Right. Yeah, I so I was uh, I was living in Seattle or in, in Portland in the early 2000s. So I was following the Mariners a little more than, you know. And he had a couple of very freak injuries where there he broke his wrist up against the... Trying to make one of those catches right up against yeah. the fence. And I believe there were a couple of ankle lower leg injuries that really kind of slowed him down when he came back. He was never quite the same after that. Uh, but pulling a name like Dave Parker out really kind of <laughs> makes you wonder all kinds of stuff because dave parker holy cow what a dynamic yeah. player yeah and i think
0: and like you said he's not built that way like parker's a big guy he's got you know he's got the trunk he's got the the ham hogs um i think wood's a little bit thinner and sure he's gonna fill out as he gets a little bit older but i think he's still gonna stay pretty slender kind of like in the daryl strawberry sense and believe me if he was playing first base everyone would say oh he's just like richie oh like like a black richie sexton You know, just because Richie Sexton was six foot seven, Uh like you said, it's tall guy. It's totally different ball players,
1: Right. Okay. So back to the no hitter. Uh, So there may have been some concern that the long wait between innings could disrupt Hawkins rhythm, but the Canadian righty put that to rest quickly inducing a pop-up that Hoffman ranged back nicely into the outfield to catch. He then struck out his seventh and final batter of the night before getting a fly ball to get through seven perfect innings. Quote, I think they had a conversation about the length of the inning, said Hawkins. Halfway through that inning, we had put up like four runs and I was moving around trying to stay loose. I felt pretty good. I got into a flow and I was able to go, go, go. In the seventh inning, I felt a little tired, but overall, I felt good. Hawkins attributed his excellent outing to his game plan of pitching aggressively with his fastball up in the zone. Quote, in and up is where my fastball plays. And I used my changeup a lot today and went up with my fastball and down with my changeup. They struggled earlier in the week with change up, so I figured I could throw it a little bit more. Um, and then Eric Youngie. Uh, it was pretty plain and simple for me, especially in the first inning, Hawkins jammed a couple guys. He showed that he can attack the zone, attack the bats, break some bats, and that opens you up a little bit, especially those left-handed hitters. And he used the change up there. It was a simple formula. After seven perfect innings, Hawkins had thrown only 77 pitches, his initial target for the, for the night. There were whispers in the dugout that he might be allowed to extend further for a chance at history, but ultimately he was removed after seven innings. Uh, quote, I think I went 93 pitches last week. I think they knew that I had it in me, and I think they even made a call to see if they would let me roll and keep going, but no dice.
0: You know, and that's, and that's fine. Like,
1: you know, to have a minor league, it doesn't matter. Really, maybe in the
0: AAA, maybe in AA. Like, there's guys are still developing. You do not want to, you know, make history by having a, you know, there's, I'm sure there's been no hitters thrown in minor leagues with one pitcher before, but you just, there's just no need.
1: No, there's, there's no a need. plan. There's a yeah. plan for these guys. Okay, you're going to work this many innings, face this many batters, this many pitches, whatever it is. And you got to stick to that. And it's not like he was through eight and, okay, go out there, right. get three quick outs, first runner, we're pulling you. It was the end of the seventh inning. You still need to cover two more innings. So and I seven,
0: I Yeah. And 77 pitches, that's
1: incredibly, that's incredibly
0: uh,
1: efficient. That is. Yeah, yeah. So he was pitching to contact. He had seven strikeouts. Um, you know, through seven innings, so not going for the case so much. A lot of weak contact, breaking yeah. bats. Love yeah. that. So the storm turned
0: things over to reliever Alan Mundo, who has thrown the ball extremely well over the last few weeks. Mundo set down in the 66ers in order, using, using his mid 90s fastball to induce a ground out and a pair of flyouts. Lake Elsinore's offense struck again in the bottom of the H, with the bottom of the H, uh, which included <laughs> the bottom of the eighth. God damn which included a fun moment. Okay, at the start of the game, Hoffman was chosen as the double-double hitter of the game. If Hoffman came up with a double uh, at any point in the game, the fans in Section 109 would leave the game with a voucher for a free double-double at in and out Hoffman came into the game with zero career doubles. With two outs, Hoffman lined a pitch down the left field corner and cruised into second with his first double of his professional career, all while scoring a free burger for sections in the fan- uh, a section of fans. That's fantastic. I love early, it. Right. Early in the game, I saw I had a chance for a triple. So I was chugging around the bases and said hopping after the game. When I got back into the dugout, the guys were giving me a hard time saying, you didn't get it. You had to hit a double. But I said, a triple can't count. We can't give them a triple triple. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, it was pretty cool. The pitcher set me up with the heater up. And, and then I recognized he was going to go with a slider away. And I kind of just poked it through and it happened to go over the third base uh, at that moment. And that was rounding first and cruising into second. I looked at section 109 and they all had their hands up and I had decided to point to them. It was a cool moment with the fans.
1: I love it. You know, that's yeah, something the- you only get in minor league baseball.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Free double, double. Everybody gets <sighs> excited.
0: So Hoppen signed, uh, signed last year as an undrafted free agent out of the university of the Pacific. The 23 year old is playing for his third Padres affiliate after starting the season and extended. Uh, with the promotion of Max Ferguson to Fort Wayne and Jackson Merrill still on the shelf, Hoffman should have an opportunity to play regularly for the Storm. I'm just trying to fill a role for the team and help the team win. They were pretty hot in the first half, and I'm not trying to be Max Ferguson, not take his place, but help the team like he did. Uh, that's some really good self-awareness there.
1: It is. Yeah, that shows some some humility, some understanding of, you know, what's your place on right. the team, you know. Yeah, that's good for him. So three outs from history. Mundo started the ninth with a
0: ground ball to short, but then hit Benilla with a one-two pitch to lose a perfect game. He got a line of the second before walking that next batter to add a bit of drama. However, the 22-year-old from Mexico bounced back and got Errol Vera to ground to first, where Carlos Luis made an excellent diving play and flipped the ball to Mundo on the coverage to lock up the game. Yeah, real quick before we get into this, Robert Luis is playing some excellent, excellent first base. And Carlos has- Luis. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to call him Robert Luis.
1: Um, he has a good stretch. I mean, it's not full stretch, but it's at least three quarter stretch. I it takes a lot of athleticism <laughs> to be able to do the splits out there,
0: and he's pretty <laughs> close to doing it. And he gets a really good stretch. You know, just a little bit more development, and I think
1: he's got a full full stretch, and he's a tall kid. I don't know how long he's been playing first base like exclusively. I know that they had him playing a little bit of outfield, a little bit yeah. of third base earlier on. Um. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's it, that's got to take some work to get up to that point where you can make yeah. those kinds of plays. So, some of the game notes lost
0: in the no hitter was the continued excellent play of Marcos Castellon. Uh, the infielder has a laser, had a laser double down the left field line and a towering homer to the left that cleared the scoreboard. That can hit that ball very, very far. I watched the game here at home. Uh, Castellon has six homers since June 1. His on base is over 400 this month or so, which is great to see, said Youngie. I think there was a time where he didn't want to work, didn't want to walk or work counts. He wanted to go pull side jack. <laughs> I could to see him go say, but you wanted to go pull side jack. But I think as he matures as a hitter, you take what the pitcher gives you. And if you don't give you anything, you take your walk, get your on base percentage up. And when they feed you a mistake, he still has the hands to turn on it.
1: The perceptions of an ongoing no-hitter are interesting. While some players are tracking the situation, they avoided saying anything about it. Youngie and the pitching coach, Leo Rosales, talked about it extensively in the dugout, not worried about jinxes. In addition to Hoffman's career night at the plate, he looked comfortable at second base running down several balls going back into the outfield that could have dropped. Yeah. Um, and somebody posted a picture. So Leo Rosales, this was uh, obviously his first No hitter as a coach for the storm. A few years ago, he was the pitching coach in Tri-City and the Tri-City dust devils threw a combined no hitter uh, under his tutelage. So he's got two no hitters as a coach under his belt. So that's, you know, go have a good day, uh, Leo Rosales. Absolutely, and when I talk to him for, for us, uh, I'm certainly going to bring that up. Like, hey,
0: what's the mojo going on? How how do you do that? You know, yeah. And he's going you know, like, to, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm not here to do that for them. I'm just here to make them better. But uh, that's a really fun stat. I saw that it was really
1: cool. Okay, okay so you- next on your list, I see that there is a link to a Jeff Passan Twitter thread. Okay. And I've opened this up. And so this is about the Senate Judiciary Committee, um, the inquiry that they sent to MILB advocates. So this is about st- the antitrust exemption, yes, uh, yes, which was and granted it, back in 1922. And we covered this a little bit last time.
0: Yeah. So the threat earlier today, the Senate Judiciary Committee sent a letter inquiry to the MILB advocates seeking, asking questions about the minor leagues. This issue was extremely important. It is also very complicated. Here is where the situation stands and where it may go. This is one of 18. Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption granted in 1922 is a powerful weapon the league uses in multiple ways. The exemption is a pretext for TV blackouts. It allows MLB to control franchise relocation, but the biggest effect may be how it affects the minor leagues. Everything in minor league baseball stems from the exemption. MLB sets salaries unilaterally. It makes rules unilaterally. It issues discipline unilaterally. And it makes what the judicial judiciary letter so potentially transformative. Its relatively narrow scope on the MILB. Politicians regularly use sports to grandstand, saber rattling, and the MLB's antitrust exemption is a Washington specialty dating back generations. Particularly after they take away the All Star Game from the voting restrictions that they did in Georgia. That's when that's when Congress got involved. Um, right. court, courts long ruled that. Though the exemption may, be, uh, may not be warranted, it is up to Congress, judiciary specifically, to change that. Though some of the questions senators ask advocates for minor league's executive director Harry Marino, uh, director Harry Marino, meander, three specific points are important. First, even before Marino's answers, judiciary is essentially offering a potential solution by invoking the Curt Flood Act. Enacted in 1998, the Curt Flood Act provides a cutout to MLB's exemption for labor matters, but that applies only to major league players. Extending the same protections to minor leagues would change base. It would change baseball
1: transformatively, transforming everything in the minor leagues. More on that later. Second, the judiciary asks about corruption in the Dominican Republic. This is vital not just because it's a decades-old problem, but because it involves MLB's entry apparatus. If you're taking, if you're talking changing the international system, the next, the logical next step is draft reform too. And third, by directly asking what repealing the Save America's Pastime Act, which codified teams' ability to script minimum wage and overtime laws for minor leagues. Judiciary is not just potentially targeting the antitrust exemption, but the universe of laws that surrounds it. Now, it's important to note: politics is politics. Any number of things could backburner this. Priorities could change in this if the Senate flips in November. Uh, but Judiciary is sent a bipartisan letter, and the moral clarity regarding MILB makes is a potentially easy political win. So now I'm. I'm kind of expecting all of this to be a lot of back and forth and discussion and chat. And I'm maybe I'm being skeptical, but I'm not expecting yeah. substantial change right. to come from this. It's not like the, the antitrust exemption is just going to vanish and they're going to you know apply the Kurt flood act to the minor leagues. Uh, I think we're going to see a little bit of movement, just enough to quiet down the, yeah. you know, all, all the press that this is getting. Yeah. But at least it's going to be some change. And there's a little more awareness among the public that this stuff is even going on. Right. And before, before the, the advent of the Internet and the availability of all of this information, yeah. we really had no access to knowing what was going on behind the levels, behind the screens. You know, if it wasn't written in, you know, written in a sports magazine somewhere, you didn't really know about how baseball actually operated from a, a legal political standpoint.
0: Yeah. When I talk to uh, baseball fans and I mentioned I got a podcast and I talk and I talk to them about this, they have no idea. They still think a lot of these guys are really I'm like, yeah, you know, some of these guys make like $5,000 a year and they're at the, near at the field 11, 12 hours a day, easy. Right. No, I'm like, yeah. Like in, you know, as they're trying to walk out the door of my restaurant, I'm like, no, look, look stay here. I'll, we can talk about this. It, it, they just don't know. And really, I didn't even know. And growing up, you think, you know, it's such a romantic thing. Oh, you're playing in some backwoods city, playing minor league baseball, living your dream, when all in actuality, even back then, it was worse. Right. So, and what my thoughts were on this was uh kind of like what they did with the stairways back in the in the early 2000s or even the 90s. Like, you throw a couple major leaguers up there in front of the, you know. In front of some congressmen, a little glad handing some tough questions, you know, going to get tough on that. uh, And 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 then everything will be
1: okay. Right. Well, so but then resulting from that, Major League Baseball did put in the controls, the testing and all the stuff that they probably should have had. 15 20 years prior um right. they just turned a blind eye to it because let's be honest it was making them a whole bunch of money when yeah. Maguire and sosa and palmero and everybody was hitting home runs brady anderson going off for 50 home runs like nobody was asking questions and people were just making money because yeah air quotes chicks dig the long ball
0: yes but so going it, back to a, it yeah, wasn't go
1: good for the long-term health of right. the game right so, so uh, suppose judiciary
0: takes up the cause though, and it does move to neutral to neuter MLB's antitrust exemption, and that a version of the Curt Flood Act for minor leaguers is implemented. Uh, What would that mean? The possibility vary greatly in in implementation and impact. A world with no exemption means MLB teams cannot price-fix MILB salaries. Players make as little as $400 pre-tax a week and are paid only in season. Higher-level wages aren't much better. It would mean every player could negotiate his salary. And this is wildly imprudent. What is the solution? The most logical is where many pushing for change on the player side hope it winds up. The unionization of minor league baseball players. Certainly, it makes sense. A 5,000-person block of workers bands together to negotiate for better outcomes. A
1: union could fight. A challenge to that is that, so so typically union workers work in a in a vocation where they're in their job for a long time right you know, so you think of electricians plumbers food handlers you know bankers all this stuff it's it's a career and it's something where they're going to be there for they plan on being there for 30 years and baseball players aren't quite like that a lot of guys mm-hmm. they get in and they may have a couple of years to show what they've got and then they're out of baseball right. um, and so it's a lot harder to convince those guys to 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 put their, their, their career on the line by saying, I want to unionize and dealing with all the impacts that can come from that. Cause it's not just, you know, lawyers getting involved. There's also the unspoken stuff about who gets opportunities, who gets playing time, who gets called right. up. And so if the, if the owning franchise knows that, okay, this player's pro union, well, maybe we, maybe he's not going to get his call up to double a when it's time we're going to bring somebody else up that isn't making as much noise. Right.
0: Well, and also, well, there's already, when you sign a minor, when you're drafted and you
1: sign that minor league contract, it's what, a six year contract. It's it's written as six years, but they wind up manipulating it so that they get a seventh year. Right. Usually okay. when the guy spends their first year and they hardly get off the complex, that year doesn't count. Right. And, and, some guys even wash out. Well, I mean, tons of people wash out well before that
0: contract has even come up and they become minor league free agents. Um, I, I understand. Maybe they would put some kind of there's just a thought here. Maybe they would put in some kind of language and I'm sure it would be picked up by your minor league advocates where, hey, if you're not performing after three years, like we
1: have the right to release you. Oh, they do. They have the right to release yeah. those guys at any time. Yeah. But then they don't have the right to go solicit work elsewhere if they're not happy with their current employer they're they're the, their rights are exclusively owned by the team that, that drafted them or initially signed them for that entire time. So it's called the Uniform Player Contract. Yeah. Um, you can look it up. There's copies of it in PDF form out there. There's a website called the Cub Reporter. that It's a, a Cubs blog, but they do an amazing job yeah. of breaking down all the rules, Major League and Minor League, um, and they go into detail about about this Minor League uh, Uniform Players Contract. But it's been the same since the 70s pretty right. much. And it doesn't give the player a whole lot of rights.
0: So a union could fight for greater salaries and better housing standards to start. And immediately upon formation, it would possess a grand hammer. If minor league players strike, what would happen when the big league players get injured? It would be an abject disaster for MLB. The possibilities go far and wide. Could the entry system, the draft for domestic players, and either the current international signing structure or the international draft MLB seeks be imperiled? Currently the MLB Players Association negotiates it and it might that and might and but
1: might that change. So the the entry system, that term that he's using, he's talking about the methods at which workers can enter a particular industry um that's kind of uh it's it's labor law speak so i yeah. see uh, eugene friedman who's a labor attorney who's who follows baseball when all these negotiations were going on he was a, a key person to follow um and he was talking about that about that they want to make these changes and it's not because they're trying to affect how the players are treated they're actually trying to limit the number of players that Enter into the employee pool, who may eventually be represented by the uh, the players' association. Yeah. Um, and so, if there's a minor league union, that is a, an even, you know, such a, a exponentially more complicated situation. Yeah. But you've got all these people that are being underrepresented.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: before any more,
0: hold on. So before any more hypoth- hypothesizing, I thank you, hypothesizing of the entire enterprise is collapsing take a step back unionization is difficult we've been talking about that it's especially difficult among a wildly disparate group whose politics tend to lean away from unionizing it's even tougher due to a simple truth about baseball minor league baseball's nature promotes selfishness players are climbing over one another to reach the major leagues it's not a job in which any worker wants to stay The long-term employment conditions are not a priority. The incentive structure is inherently egocentric. I want to make the major leagues. You're in my way. I'm going to do my best. But what MLB has perpetuated in its uninterrupted mistreatment of minor leaguers is a very angry group of employees. The true extent of their commitment to the cause is unclear, but they believe they're right and there is wrong and that they're very clearly right. All the, potential, all the potential outcomes may come to fruition. It is so early in the process. Momentum is fleeting, but change in the minor leagues is coming. It may be soon. It may be further down the
1: road. But make no mistake, in some form or fashion, at some point, it is coming. So I find it interesting that they pull the international, uh, the, the treatment of players in the international um, you know, venues, yeah. that they pull that into this. Because they these teams run their development academies in Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Colombia, Panama, wherever, and they're not subject to labor laws right American labor laws right. um, and so i I have no idea what those guys are paid, uh what kind of uh, rights they're entitled to or or required to have. I imagine that there's not a whole lot um, that the teams are able to do pretty much whatever they want, as long as the players are willing to, to stay and play. To
0: right, right, right. And,
1: and then they're willing to forego a lot of things that that people might fight for here, just because they want that opportunity to, to get off, you know, get Not out the of their Island. country yeah. and make their way to the United States where they can have generational changing yeah. wealth Yeah. And I'm not talking about just the guys that get nine figure contracts, just the guys that get up and and get to spend some time on a minor league roster or a major league roster, like Jose Azokar making major league minimum, but he's making what, $700,000 a year. So he can send so much of that back home and it's going to make dramatic changes for his extended family and everybody that was involved in him coming up at the league minimum. Um, But to get, so the incentive to get there is so high that, people can just, there There, are no civil rights. Yeah. They are right. essentially indentured servants to the major league uh, organizations. Um, so all we can do is hope that the organizations are run ethically and yeah. that they treat their guys well um, and that there isn't the kind of abuse. But every once in a while you hear these cases of, I mean, I mean even comes down to human trafficking and stuff like that. It, there's some scary stuff that happens in the international arena and we never hear about it because it's it's over there it's out of sight out of mind
0: it's very hush-hush too and in those international realms with the buscones with these academies um i'm I'm sure just kind of like major league baseball so very few of these in in these uh in these academies get uh you know a good look you know maybe you know kind of like in the minor leagues you look at any minor league roster you go like okay maybe two of those guys and one of them's a top prospect has a chance to sniffing the major leagues when the rest of the guys around there are probably never going to get out of that level or reach this level or go up higher like you know there's a ton of money being made with very little uh with you know you get one guy from your academy to, to get drafted all of a sudden you're on the map all of a sudden you go to your community and you're like well i got fred you know whoever, whoever, uh, he's in the major leagues right now, or this guy got drafted. So I can give your son a chance. Now you need to get, you know, and those things are not cheap down there and sure, you know, in all these other communities, you know, the wealthy, just kind of like America, you know, and wealthy kids get to go to play travel ball. The wealthy kids get to go to all these, uh, all these showcases because the poor kids don't. Right. And so, you know, here in America, it's kind of by, you know, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's what I want to say here it's easier done here, but down there, it's like, it's almost like
1: a con. It it kind of is. And you hear about so much shady stuff that happens and it's all in the hush hush. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you're doing this, you're scouting kids that are 10, 12 years old and you're making agreements with them when they're 12, 13, 14 years old. And knowing that you're not going to sign that, you'll put inks of paper until they're 16, but they're already in the system for a couple of years. They're already being watched and managed. And you gotta imagine that there's money being transferred kind of behind the scenes. I and we can go on and on about this. Yeah. And it's something needs to be done. And so I'm I'm glad that Congress is at least taking some some time to focus on this and do some attention you know there's plenty of other things in our world that need to change uh but you know as baseball fans and minor league fans this is something that we can't help but focus on absolutely okay Whew. breathe let's move on okay time to let's talk about the the
0: the rundown <laughs> Let, let's talk, let's get to the affiliate rundown so in the azl um speaking of international players speaking of guys that made it uh In the AZL strike one Tuesday, the ACL Padres took a page out of this is Final Tap and took it to 11. But ours go to 11. But all baseball games go to 11. That's Uh, one more.
1: All right.
0: Um, So why don't you just make 10 higher? (laughs) These go to 11. Um, See, right there is where you can put in a little. um, I know, drop a sound clip in there. (laughs) Absolutely. So typically in the ACL, they play seven inning games. Uh, But Tuesday's affair against the Guardians rookie squad went 11 innings. It took an infielder that had never pitched before to come in relief in the 10th and got the win. So Jake Perez started the game at third and has a story to tell in his early career. He walked one and allowed a walk without the benefit of a strikeout, and he got the win. <laughs> Jarlin Susanna dominated the Guardians' ACL bunch for four, outing, uh, for four innings. Susanna allowed just one run on two hits, walking two and striking out seven. The seven strikeouts match the career high he set two weeks ago. The prize right-hander has a 1.84 ERA in his first 14 or two-thirds professional innings. He has struck out 19 and walked five so far this season. Now, I've kind of asked around, like, I'm sure, you know, Susanna throws mid-90s and upper 90s. Like, he's just blown. He's just blown by the guy, you know? So so these numbers can really look inflated. Um, But I was told that he's also mixing it up a little bit. So he's not just you know, throwing fastball, fastball, fastball. He's actually trying to develop some, some of the other pitching, uh, other pitches that he offers.
1: Right. And there again, you can't scout the stat line, especially in the ACL, right. you know, a couple of games can skew it. You know, if he goes out and has a couple of bad games that ERA is going to go through the roof. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you don't know what kind of competition he's facing, what he's working on. You know, maybe they've got him going through some mechanical changes, whatever. Right. So the, the numbers look great so far, he's off to a great start. That's really all we can say. Absolutely. Um, So, strike two on Thursday, Jackson Merrill missed his second straight game after leaving Monday's contest with a mild hamstring strain. Joshua Mears continued his tune up in the desert with a double run and an RBI. In 13 games for the ACL club, Mears is batting 220 with two home runs, four doubles, a triple, and six RBI.
0: Ruben Salinas continued to assert himself as a prospect to watch in his return trip to the desert. The Baja California native hit his second home run of the season Thursday and has 11 RBIs and 45 at bats. S- uh, strike three. Friday, Joshua Mears had a pair of doubles Friday night, but he also struck out three times. The 21-year-old has some amazing moments in Fort Wayne this year, and he has dented several buildings with home runs in a series in Lansing. After a prolonged slump, he was put on the development list and now is playing in the ACL. In 14 complex league contests, Mears has a an a 864 OPS. The concern with mirrors continues to be his propensity to swing and miss In 51 plate appearances in the ACL. He has punched out 22 and out 22 times.
1: Yeah. That's so that is troubling. So the, the home runs look great. He's hitting, you know, when he's hitting the ball, he's hitting it hard and he's getting extra base hits. So that fills up the stat line but I guess this is one of those. So before, before we started recording, we were talking about CJ Abrams and like, okay, how do you take this guy that's hitting home runs? He's getting on base. He's you know filling up the sat line in triple a, but then when he comes up, it's clear that he's not making the kind of professional at bats that you want. Right. He's his pitch pitch selection. Isn't quite where you want it to be. He's swinging at the wrong pitches, the wrong counts. So how do you work on that while he's having success on the field right. and helping the team win. And so that's a challenge like that with Joshua Mears. Like, okay, you're going out there, you're hitting doubles, triples, home runs, but half the time you're striking out. So do more of this, but do less of that. That's got to be a, a difficult balance for them to manage.
0: It is. And with someone like that so young, you know like we and we've said this before, like he hasn 't been around high level competition early in his career, so it 's going to take him a little bit longer uh that doesn't mean he's any less valuable it's just it might take him a little bit longer to come around and and hopefully that'll happen you know hopefully he'll figure it out um they are not going to give up on him he was uh he's very highly you know the the the, the system the the organization really thinks highly of him, and so they 're going to do the best they can i think even bringing him back to the to the development list shows
1: how much they do care. Right. Yeah. And he could still be up in Fort Wayne and I'm sure he could be posting similar numbers. Yeah. Um, but when he's back at the complex, they can put the extra work in yeah. and focus on things. Uh, you got to figure in the complex, the guys don't have the same kind of command. Uh, yeah. you know, they're you got guys that are just trying to just trying to throw strikes. Right. So you would hope that somebody, okay, your job is to lay off the garbage you know, hunt for pitches in this part of the zone, these types of pitches. Um, yeah, he's got to put it together. Yeah, it, it might take a while, but that's what he's yeah. there to do.
0: Yeah. So to finish that one out, um, where am I? <laughs> one Murillo. Th- Thank yeah. you. Juan one, one Murillo had a career-high three hits in the ACLs club's when the Cuban Juan Murillo signed with the Padres as an international free agent in June and 25 at-bat at, at a 25 at-bat sample. The 19-year-old has hit 400, 423. Five sixty.
1: That's a name that I can't say that I'd heard before. So that's one, one thing about covering the ACL is that you hear a lot of new names and people pop up and that's, you know, where you get to learn the, the new guys. Okay, so moving on to Lake Elsinore. Um, Strike one, Tuesday was Manuel Castro's coming out party as the righty pitched as well as any pitcher we've seen this season. The 20-year-old worked five and two-thirds innings and gave up a pair of runs. That's not really where the intrigue stems from, though. Castro struck out a career-high 12 batters Pairing a riding fastball that sat in the low 90s with a slider and a change that Inland Empires had trouble picking up. So, Manuel Castro, he took the ACL by storm, had just tore it up for a couple of weeks and got promoted real quick.
0: Yeah. I watched that game. He was dealing. Like, I was impressed. I think I even tweeted out from the Fries on the Farm uh, Twitter. It's like, this kid's having a night.
1: Yeah. Well, he's a quick riser. Maybe he's going to be one of these guys get some helium.
0: Absolutely. So, James Wood had three hits, including a double that might have put a hole in the right field wall at the diamond. The 19-year-old has hit safely in 10 straight games and is hitting 333, 426, 489 this month. New William Cedeno, making his second professional appearance at first base, had a pair of hits and drove in a run. His two-hit night extended his
1: hit streak to six games. Strike two on Wednesday. El Paso native Bodie Rascón held the Angels' Single A affiliate to one run over five innings. Rascón, 21, has pitched well in three of his four June outings. In those outings, he's allowed just three earned runs in 14 innings, good enough to put him among the elite of the Cal League. Rascón has made 11 appearances this season, and in seven, he's allowed one run or less. I think that's an important thing right there. So we're in Single A, so you can't just take the box or the the stat line as a whole. You have to kind of break it out because oftentimes these guys will have good games they'll have bad games right And who is this player really? you know so you take a look at those you 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 cut out the three or four bad games and you're looking at 11 or seven good outings and right. that's where maybe you see who this guy really can be once he gets to the next level. Um, James Wood could be crushed, (laughs) could be charged with vandalism after crushing a laser off the batter's eye. Justin Farmer had a pair of hits and three walks and swiped his 23rd and 24th bag of the year. He's currently fourth in the league in both runs and stolen bases. And I'm pretty sure Max Ferguson is going to continue to lead the league in both of those numbers for the foreseeable future, even though he's out of the league. But Justin Farmer, he's coming up strong. And he's yeah, he's, he done,
0: he's coming up strong for the storm. And he was an undrafted free agent out of um, he played, you know, he played in the prospect league. Okay. He played in, he played in the draft league. Uh, so I with the no hitter, I gave him no strike three. So moving on to Fort Wayne, strike one Tuesday, Max Ferguson and Cole Cummings are making their presence in Felton High A. Ferguson led off and had a pair of hits and a walk. Also stole his first base in the Midwest League, the 22-year-old infielder has taken his game to a new level. In June, after slugging under 300 in his first two months of the season, Ferguson was slugging 473 this month prior to his promotion. Cummings had three hits, including a double in his high-A debut. The Orange, California native was one of Storm's most productive players this year. In 44 games, the undrafted free agent had an excellent 275, 426, 463 with six homers and 33 RBIs. Shortstop Jared Dale had a
1: pair of hits, including his third homer of the season. You know, I didn't realize that Cole Cummings was from orange County. I wonder if he was staying at home. while while they were in, uh, in Lake Elsinore oh,
0: really. And uh, he's a he, UCSB. He's a, he's a, he's a gaucho.
1: Yeah. All right. Strike two to uh, Saturday saw Robert Gasser, number seven Padres prospect against tigers. Number five prospect Ty Madden. It was a rematch from when the two faced each other last year in college at Texas and Houston, respectively. Madden's nine scoreless innings in March 2021 bested Gasser's seven scoreless as the Longhorns triumphed 1-0. Similar to their college days, both starters were dynamic Saturday, but this time it was Gasser who pitched deeper into the game. The left-hander threw six scoreless innings with five strikeouts, limiting the Whitecaps to four singles, three walks, and a hit by pitch. He helped his own cause by picking, up, picking one of those runners off. The 23-year-old threw 92 pitches, of which 61 were strikes cory rosier extended his on-base streak to 16 games and robert hassel the third had a single and drew two walks as he continues to pace the midwest league in batting average at 307 yeah
0: i, thought that, really, three. I thought that was really really cool that those two guys that pissed, you know and then got drafted are in these organizations that are playing the same league so that's a, a stark example of how small the baseball community is like you see you know, you, you see the guys in the major leagues when they come up, you know, they'll they're running on each side, they come up and you see guys hugging like, wow, well, I didn't know that guy knew that guy. Um, you know, they play with each other, they've seen each other, maybe in the minor leagues, uh, you just get to know these guys and it just shows you how small of a community uh, you know professional baseball really is.
1: Okay, so I'm going to take off on a tangent there. So last night in the Dodgers game, Ha-Sung Kim hit a two run home run late in the game that wound up being the runs that put the Padres over the top. Right. And when he came in, high fives everybody. And Manny Machado pulled him in for this big hug. And we've seen this a few times. And it really seems like he's taken Ha-Sung Kim under his wing, like almost like a little brother. And I was talking to Angela about this this morning that so Ha-Sung Kim, he's from Korea he didn't come up with anybody. He doesn't right. know anybody. Right. You know, Manny Machado could have signed with any team and he would have known a handful of guys on any roster. Hassan Kim comes over here. He, as far as I know, doesn't speak very much English, you know, doesn't know the, 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 the culture, right. doesn't, you know? um, And so then it's up to the teammates to pull him in and to make him feel accepted and, and part of the team and part of something, um, you know, rather than just, you know, Show up, punch the clock and do your job. And, you know, nobody really interacts with you. Right. And so that's, you know, one of the things that I've appreciated about having Manny Machado on the Padres is, is that, that he's taking these guys and it just goes beyond just being a, you know, puff your chest out leader. It's, it's really making these guys feel appreciated and like they're part of family. You know, and I,
0: I'm included in this bunch, but how many of us have wanted to ship him off when he is, you know, not succeeded when we needed him succeed so many times, like it's so hard to keep that confidence up. And right. when you do well, even when you don't do well, knowing that your teammates have your back and the leader of the club of the clubhouse has your back. I mean, that has to give you some kind of confidence. At least it, it makes you feel a part of right. um, where you're not, you know, your lows are lower or your lows are a little bit lower, a little less lower. And your highs are, are higher in yeah. a way. Because once again, at baseball, you, the, the less, the more relaxed you are, the easier you take it, kind of the better you play. Baseball is a game. It's probably the only game that you, when you need to do better, you try less. You don't try so hard. Unless you know, you're Robert Stock. You, you know, right. It, then you have to try, the try harder. Hard. <laughs> but like, you, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, it, it's where, you know, the big moments are when you can, just be you yes. know and in and, and other other sports like you have to ramp yourself up you have to be that guy um in baseball it's that confidence that calmness that serves you more than the higher emotions so having having you know guys like that on the team um you know take the younger guys under the wing and i'm sure the sad things happen with jose Azucar, although he's doing plenty well himself like knowing that you belong here is way more important than actually performing to belong. You know what I mean? Right. And that's once you believe you belong, you can really start performing. And, and that, that may or may not happen with Kim. Um, but certainly having your teammates have your back is, is gigantic.
1: Well, and it, what role is he really supposed to have on the team? I mean, if Tatis was healthy, we wouldn't be seeing a whole lot of hustle on Kim. He'd be, right. he'd be the the bench guy. Right. So I don't fault him for the struggles that he's had at the plate he's done outstanding in the field he's held his own i mean he's been almost a league average hitter it's just he plays a position where you expect more production than that right Right, right. um but i i i'm not complaining about him i'm not mad at the job he's doing i just wish that he wasn't in the role that he's in yeah i'm an emotional guy and i live and
0: breathe by every pitch so um sometimes i'm going ah i'm tired of ha song and then he has the, you know, the, I, like I went to the, I went and saw Maverick yesterday and I didn't, like I watched the first inning, Matt gave the two doubles, hit 92. Okay. All right. We're well, going to go do something else now. Um, I just can't, you know, I, my heart can't take it right now. My wife's not here. I don't, you know, she'd be yelling. She'd be doing the same thing. She'd be like, fine, let's go to the store. Let's do something else. <laughs> We're uh, very emotional. Take strike three. God, we're very emotional. Um, <laughs> strike three. So Sunday, Max Ferguson had his second multi-hit game in the high A, with double the lead off the game, and then his first homer for the Tin Caps—a blast over the right center in the third. The second game in a row with an extra base hit. Ferguson also picked up a walk in the ninth inning. He had two multi-hit games and three extra base hits in his first series with the Tin Caps. It's funny. I've been watching every one of those games, and it—it it seems like you know when I was putting this down on the agenda, I'm like. God, didn't didn't we talk about those two guys back last week when they were? Uh,
1: no, we didn't. We talked about it when they were with a storm. Right. Right. We just keep talking about them every week because the, all they're doing is making noise. Yeah, that's great. Good noise. Make good noise. Yeah. All right. So San Antonio strike one on Wednesday. Brandon Comar, if you remember, was the pitcher of the week in high A and he got promoted and then touched up in his double A debut, which seems to happen a lot. Right. In his second start, Komar surrendered just 2 runs on 8 hits in 6 innings, but the offense went silent and squeaked out only 3 hits. Jorge Onya collected 2 of them. We haven't heard about Jorge Onya a whole lot. Onya is about to finish the month with his best numbers in a long time. His multi-hit effort raised his June slash line to 265 286 441. The bad news is the multi-hit game brought his season batting average to 200.
0: So you know he's
1: been off to a rough, rough start. And man, I mean, he was on the 40 man roster, made the major league team for for a a quick cup of coffee. And then he's just kind of fallen off. So, you know, I makes you wonder what happened and what's he working on and when are we going to see him again?
0: Yeah. And you know, and you those of you guys that listen to this podcast often know that he has been conspicuously absent from a lot of uh a lot of the rundowns because he hasn't been really producing that much. Right, right. I mean, we were surprised that he
1: wasn't—he wasn't a part of Major League camp this spring. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know that they've got their reasons for that. I don't know what those reasons are, but you know, there's there's a reason for everything. And in minor leagues,
0: as in with everything, you know, stocks rise and fall all the time. You know, it, like it's down this year. Maybe next year it'll be better. Maybe this, you know, the second half of the season he'll pick it up. We
1: don't know. We just know that he's having a tough year. Right. And usually, so he signed for a big bonus. He was one of the big international signings. I think that was the 2016 season. Um, And usually those are the guys that get the aggressive promotions and every opportunity. And he, he has, it's just injuries have held him back and lack of performance has held him back. Um, So it's not for a lack of opportunity. It's for other reasons that he's been struggling. Yeah. And we don't know exactly what's going on. So
0: he's still in double a, and he, you know, hopefully whatever is going on that we don't know uh, gets figured out and he continues to be the Jorge it that we expect because that kid is a tank. Oh, he yeah. Can hit. He has power. That's there's a lot of ball player in there. Uh, it's just not showing up right now. Yep. But moving on to strike two, Thursday, Lawson had the curveball work. And I watched this start as well. 85 pitches, uh, a little bit high, but overall Reggie Lawson continued his dominance, allowing just one hit while striking out six batters. He was on like he had. You know, he was setting him up with a fastball, and then the curveball was just, it was dropping off the table, and these guys were on the front foot swinging right over it. In the fifth, he gave up a solo home run, and that was it. He finished with seven strikeouts in five innings. After tonight's stellar start, the Victorville native closed out the month 4-0 with a 1.37 ERA in five starts, striking out 27 and walking 11 in 26 in the third innings. He is absolutely you know, from the first four or five starts this season, coming straight off Tommy John, you're like, oh, my God, he's got a long way to go. But once again, we I just said it, like, stocks rise and fall. And particularly with someone with coming back from Tommy John, you expect that to happen. You don't expect the guys to come back from Tommy John, throwing five innings at two-hit ball, giving up one run. You almost expect them to
1: give up that much, you know, to give that much offense because uh, he's just trying to get back. Well, so I looked up his pitching logs here, and it seems like every month he's been turning a page. So in April, his whip walks plus hits over innings pitched was 3.23, which is horrendous. In May, it was 2.1. And in June, it was 0.9, which is outstanding. Similarly, his strikeout to walk ratio in April, it was 0.17. So he was walking way more than he was striking out. And now in June, it's 2.45. So he's striking out more than twice as many guys as he's walking. Um, it's something just clicked as the, as the calendar flipped over to June and he's just started cruising.
0: And that's good. Cause we, you know, he was pretty darn close when he went into Tommy John. He, he was really close.
1: Yeah. That spring. We thought, we thought, I think that was spring twenty. 20. That was yeah. off season 2020. Yeah. He came down to Fan Fest. He was part of the Padres, you know, when you see a prospect at Fan Fest, you can be pretty confident that he's part of their plan for the coming yeah. year. Yeah. And if he hadn't gotten Tommy John, I'm I'm certain that we might have seen him at some point. If if he hadn't gotten Tommy John and if COVID hadn't happened, right. he would have had an opportunity at some point that year.
0: So Hori Ona closed out the month on a high note, smacking a trio of singles to finish June with a 316-350-474 slash line. His excellent production this month resulted in his batting average creeping up above the Mendoza line to 214. Now that, and you see 214, you're like, oh, my God, he's only hitting 214. He was absolutely dog turds the first two months of the season. So having him hit this well this late does seem like there's a turnaround and seemed seems like there's better things to come from Ona. Oh, so yeah,
1: for sorry. strike three, I was happy to see this. Henry yeah, right. Henry got his first start of the season. Uh, he threw three shutout innings on three hits and three strikeouts. So he was, it was kind of an opener role. I'm sure that yeah. was prescribed that you're going to pitch three innings or this many pitches. Uh, Domingo Leva singled in the club's only two runs in the eighth inning. The 26 year old with big league service time has given the mission steady production while playing up the middle defensively all year. Now, I remember when we talked to uh, Ralph about Henry Henry. Uh, he he talked about how
0: uh, he's one of the few guys that we would asked him about. Uh, like he acts, he plays, he pitches like a major leaguer, like he is on his way. Uh, the results sometimes don't show it with him, but certainly I, I expect to see him, you know, pushing for a spot, if not next year, certainly in 2024, if he doesn't get traded because there's a there's a lot of major leaguer there, it just need to be
1: developed, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of people in this organization that. I'm sure there are, you know, in trade discussions right now. And then, if not, you've got the Rule Five draft coming, which there was no Rule Five last year. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of movement between now and opening day next year. Uh, he's definitely one of the guys to watch. So, in so moving
0: on to El Paso in a uh, in a kind of like weird. I don't know what the word I'm looking for here. Uh, similarities. The uh, for Strike One, the first place Oklahoma City Dodgers win against the second place El Paso Chihuahuas. <laughs> okay the player once again was taylor colway who finished the triple shy of the cycle settling uh settling for two doubles instead with one day left in the month he has all but secured his best month ever as a professional in 16 games colway is hitting 418 474
1: 731 with five homers 23 rbis also career highs um also being career highs. Now, and so when you watch the home runs that he's hitting, he's not hitting these moon shots right. that are scraping the wall. He's hitting line drives. That's yeah. what his game is, is gap to gap line drives. And when he gets one in the air, he's got the power to put it out. Uh, so I'd like to think that that kind of profile would play well at, at any level. You know, not the guy that. Yeah. You know, is relying on those home runs to carry over the fence and then he comes up to major league baseball and they're not even to the um right to the to the morning track <laughs> exactly so eggy rosario a doubled in homered wednesday night
0: eggy is seven homers uh has seven homers this month after having just three in april and may combined pedro Avila got the pedro Avila got the start, and for his second straight outing, he allowed one earned run. He did make a couple of appearances in San Diego this year, throwing four innings with five strikeouts and allowing two earned runs, and is giving the Padres every reason to bring him back up if the need arises. That's another starter where he, he you know, I saw several of his starts this year, and there was like, wow, where did he go? But he was also coming back from injury as well. Right. So, so he's starting to put it back together uh, and certainly has the stuff to be, uh, you know, a major league uh, contributor.
1: Well, and last year, I believe he was working as a, as a reliever as he was on his way back. You know, He was closing out some games for San Antonio. All right, so strike two on Thursday, Matt Waldron made his AAA debut and had a quality start going, only giving up two runs until the fifth, and then he left several knucklers over the plate, and Oklahoma hitters hit like three doubles in a row. It seems debuts rarely go well when you advance to the next level. And especially for a knuckleballer, I mean, it's yeah. got to be just you know living on the edge. You know, as soon as that thing stops floating and starts, you know, hanging around the middle of the zone, guys can tee off on it. They did. They really timed it. I watched that game. And,
0: you know, the first few innings, like, okay, give it a couple of runs. That's fine. But he just started dealing and then ran out of gas. It almost seemed like he just ran out of gas because their balls were just coming right over the plate and they were taking really good hacks. They weren't front footing it. They were sitting on that back foot and just driving the ball.
1: And I I would imagine some of that comes with working through the road, through the lineup a couple of times. Now that everybody's seen him, they get a little bit of a rhythm for that speed because it's coming in a lot slower than you're used to. How do you sit back on something when you're used to, you know, getting geared up for 93 Aggie. So, uh, Aggie Rosario capped
0: off with June with a game-tying home run, his 11th of the season, in only 277 at-bats. He is one away from his career-best 12 home runs achieved in 2021 with the missions. Rosario finishes a strong month with 288, 368, 625 slash line and eight home runs in 104 at-bats. As Stewie Ruiz swept into the bag Thursday, and after 20 games with El Paso has now stolen 16 bases in 69 games between the Chihuahuas and double a San Antonio Ruiz has 53 stolen bases For context. The Padres single season record is Alan
1: Wiggins at 70 steals in 1984. I wonder if anybody has ever led two different leagues and stolen bases in the same season. Right, right, right. Like what if his, whatever 40, 37 uh, stolen bases he got in double a holds up. And then by the end of the year, he catches the guy in triple a, and he gets two two stolen base <laughs> crowns. Okay, <laughs> very, very interesting. Entry. Yeah, on uh, on Friday, the Chihuahuas had a comeback win against the Dodgers Triple A affiliate. Hey, we beat the Dodgers kinda, uh, Luis Liberato went two for five with a double, a home run, and four RBIs. Liberato and CJ Hinojosa hit back-to-back home runs in the bottom of the seventh inning. El Paso's second set of back-to-back homers this year, and the first since Adeline Rodriguez and Trace Thompson on April 26th versus Reno, both of whom have left the organization since yeah uh eggy rosario reached base four times in the win, going one for two with a double and three walks brent rooker also collected three free passes and made oklahoma city pay by scoring three runs rooker the other part of the taylor rogers trade is slashing 260 379 574 in 169 at bats for el paso boom so Rook, Rooker is an interesting guy to keep an yep. eye on. People are looking for help on offense. And I don't know how well he would hit at the major league level, but the guy's got legit power and he's showing a pretty good eye in triple a. Well, and he did, they brought him up, but he didn't even sniffing at back. No. And I was kind of surprised by that. Right. You know, at least give the guy a token, you know, let him go up in garbage time at least once. Right. You know, and after that
0: third, you know, particularly with someone like Matthew Batten, like on that Sunday game, dude, that's when you play, that's when you give your regulars a day off. I, mean, I know we were playing the Dodgers and it was important that we won that game, but certainly,
1: you know, you get those guys playing time. Right. So I, he came in late in the game. Uh, what was that Friday night? And he was a defensive sub. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more of that. We've seen uh, Hosmer come out of the game late yeah. and Cronenworth slides over uh, because heaven forbid, there's a pop fly right behind the pitcher's mound. Uh. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So (laughs) don't need a sound, don't need a soundboard for that. Uh, no, but, but so now you've got Matt Batten. He's a good glove everywhere. You've got, you've got a, uh, 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 Hassan Kim who's yeah. a gold glove caliber defender anywhere you put him, um, Machado with his, his ankle injury, I'm sure, you know, he, I, I can't imagine what he's been playing through. The guy yeah. is just an absolute warrior. So if they, if they wind up big against the Mariners today, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do a bit of a, of a shift change. Like hockey style, get some yeah. of these guys off the field just to to close it out. You know, and I, I saw that play, and you know, to be real, real honest, like
0: Hazra absolutely has got to take over there as as the first baseman. That's when the first baseman takes over and goes like, he, "It's mine, he, mine, mine." He, he called for it. You hear him on he, the on he, the TV broadcast. You, what I saw it looked like Gore, like like it was mine. Like his the way he
1: kind of put his hands up was like, "It's mine." But then he stepped stepped out of the way and you can hear on the TV broadcast, you hear somebody say, I got it. And it's clear. And I'm I'm certain it was Hosmer's voice. And then afterwards, as the as they're both kind of walking back to their positions, you see Hosmer kind of pat his chest like that's on me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I would be forgiven if that guy hit. I would be forgiven. Right. And he did, he got two hits in the game. He was the one that drove in Abrams as he was pinch running. Um, And I think that was the run that tied the game up. Um, And so, yeah, he made up for it a little bit, but man, it just, it's, it's stung the team enough times that it's, it it hurts. And it's like, come on, man, make some adjustments, do something.
0: Yeah. And when you're not slugging the way he should be slugging. Right. It it is. And, And sure. You know, I mean, he's, I'm not a defender. Believe me, I'm not an Eric Cosmer defender, but you know, it's real easy for social media guy, you know, for Padres Twitter to get all over the sky and just crap on him. And I understand that. And I, um, you know, you
1: sometimes lead the charge in that and that's fine, but <laughs> I can't help it. Much to my chagrin. Um, I'm trying to keep the F bombs <laughs> to a minimum, at least when I'm talking about players, <laughs> uh,
0: but you know, I, but I, but I understand. And, um, We'll, we'll see what the trade deadline does. You know, I'm not saying that he's going to get traded, but it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, with, with, with the sour, with the talks apparently souring with uh, Joe Musgrove. If he walks that, I mean, it, we could win the World Series and it would still be, you didn't sign the guy.
1: You right. You
0: didn't sign the senior guy who needs, who wants to be here. pay think- fair value. I think it's just posturing.
1: I think that's all that Ken Rosenthal article is, is, you know, an agent talking to a reporter and trying to get some news out there to, to, you know, just try to move the sides one way or another, try to get his player a little bit more money. Um, It's early in the season. Joe's been pitching like a Cy Young candidate. Absolutely. Who's to say what's going to happen in the second half. It's, it it, it seems apparent that the Padres want to do something about payroll um, before doing it before adding money, right. they need to move some money. So you got Will Myers, who's been on the, on the rack pretty much all season. You got Snell, who's not performing up to standard. you got Hosmer's big contract, which, which sticks around for the next, what, three years. Yeah. Um, and, and so it seems apparent that they want to move something off of that ledger before they talk about signing an extension. If they sign Joe Musgrove to an extension, it, I think it depends on the, 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 the terms of it. Um. I don't know if the annual average annual value affects the luxury tax calculations for this year. Uh, right. but that may be, that may be a factor in this. They might not want to sign him to an extension during the season. If it's going to make it you know, more difficult for them to stay under that luxury tax limit.
0: Right. And so my question, what I saw is that they're he's 29. They're looking at an eight year deal for him. Was it, I mean, he's they-
1: going to, he's going to want as many years as he can get. I'm sure. I, I am not an eight year guy for pitchers. I have a hard time with that too, unless he's 23, but you know, so I've after, after 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 following him on, uh, on social media and seeing what he does in the off season, he does these, he does all kinds of different workouts that I'm not used to seeing pitchers do. Yeah, He does these things with the, uh, I believe they're called the, the Persian clubs. Um, and he does these different kinds of exercises. He does stuff working on balance and it's, it's not the traditional lifting weights, agility kind of stuff. And as far as I know, he's never had a major injury. So maybe he's figured out on the conditioning side, how to avoid that major injury bug. Uh, so, okay, we're seeing him at his best maybe he'll be able to maintain this level for a couple of years. And then you expect as he gets into his 30s, he's going to drop off. But if he can maintain at least the ability to eat innings, you know, maybe he steps back from being a one or two in the rotation and toward the end of his contract, maybe he's, you know, your three or four guy that's just anchoring your rotation and providing leadership and all of that. There's still value in that, even if he's overpaid by then. But I mean, if he brings a ring to this city, and a Cy Young award. I mean, he's not going to win a Cy Young. I, I doubt right. it, but my gosh, man. Rings
0: it forever. You're right. He's, rings it forever. And I have, I, I've seen a lot of that, the the breathing, the holding your breath and Lydia Roy's bringing it up because she's now lives into swimming. She's like, I can't hold my breath for 30 seconds, let alone Right. Yeah, minutes. they were doing that training. Um, he was, and who else not- was,
1: was with him doing that training? And they're talking about that, that they started like, I could hold my breath for a minute 20. And then by the time we were done, I was holding my breath for four minutes. You know, and that's funny? something that's helping him like psychologically on the mound, control his emotions. And it's i mean this is the kind of stuff that you want i think back to when clayton richard was on the team and he took eric lauer and joey lucchese out to his farm in indiana for yeah. a couple of weeks and showed him okay this is how i prepare this is how i stay on the field and he kicked their butts for a couple of weeks just to to you know help them develop as major leaguers as professionals yeah. Yeah, i love that stuff
0: um and and so well, I want to say here, you know, the, the thing is like, he wants one money. They want to, they want to pay him three money. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of middle ground there. And you're right. There's good, at least good four seasons of high quality impact pitching from him. And he has gotten better. He wasn't this good two years ago. He wasn't this good last year. He was pretty good last year, but it seems like since he's been with the Padres or at least, you know, these last few years that he has gotten better. Every year. So if he's peaking right now, and if he can keep this peak at say two, three years, uh, maybe four years, uh, you know, with the, with this, uh, you know, with this regimen, um, that's, that's quality. And that's worth the value of an eight year, seven year contract, six year contract.
1: And Throw then you the add bullpen. into it all the right. marketability stuff too, that he's a San Diego native and yeah. the way that he has embraced this community and the community has embraced him. You, know, you put him on every poster on every billboard and yeah. there's a value in that. Maybe they could write into his contract that the, uh, the Musgrove family gets to have a couple of cafe Adesso uh, locations around Peco park. Well, I, when someone tweeted that on Twitter, I'm like, yes, I don't drink, but I'll buy coffee. I'm
0: not going to go down for a Brian's brothers or whatever, you know, absolutely. And and if you look on Twitter, guys, you see it all the time. You see him at the Grossmont High School CIF game, chatting with his buddies there. You see him at a Loyal's game. You you see him all over San Diego, not cuz he has to, not cuz it's an appearance, cuz he loves the city.
1: Yeah, you he's know, a fan.
0: I, I cannot wait to see him across the highway here at Snapdragon Stadium at a San Diego State game. Yeah, you know he'll be sure, there. He, Sure he wasn't, Sandy, he wasn't a San Diego he wasn't a San State guy, right? But he certainly is a, uh, is a uh, is a promoter and a lover of San Diego sports. All right, I, I thought we were gonna have a nice short podcast today, um, but we we had some discussions, and I really yeah. uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us., uh, you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan.
1: I am at zippy underscore tMS. Hey, All baby, right. it's the Fourth of July. Let's go. All right.